I like to label my message this morning, what God expects. If I can talk from the thought of what God expects. One of the most frustrating challenges, Roosevelt, in relationships are unmet expectations. You can name the relationship. It could be between a friend for multiple years. It could be between husband and wife. It could be between teammates on a particular team. It could be from your coworkers. It could be between a mother and a daughter. It could even be between you and your mortgage provider. Now, trust and believe there is an expectation that they have from you that you're going to pay that mortgage on the first of the month or the 15th or wherever the cycle date falls on. No matter what kind of relationship, one of the paralyzing realities is the idea of experiencing unmet expectations. Unmet expectations are assumptions that you have and you put on other people, even though they may not fully be aware of what you want. And based upon your presupposition, you assume something is going to happen or be done. And when it's not, you get upset. I thought you were going to. I assume you were going to. These are all phrases that we all say when there are unmet expectations. Do these phrases sound familiar? One difference between us and God is that he is clear from what he demands or what he expects from us. And Psalm 100 is one of those passages in Scripture that details what God expects from his creation. This text is designed to instruct us that God is worthy of our praise and worship because of his goodness and his forever love. God is worthy of our praise and our worship because of his goodness and his forever love. Isaac Watts that congregational minister who wrote about 750 hymns. He was a prolific hymn writer during his day. Some of them you may know of. They include Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And he also wrote one that was inspired by Psalm 100. Here's a couple of lines from that hymn. Before Jehovah's awesome throne, ye nations bow with sacred joy. Know that the Lord is God alone. He can create and he can destroy. Just a couple of lines from this great hymn from Isaac Watts. I think there are several things that God wants from us. And even Isaac Watts knew God wanted us to bow before him in worship. And I think as we jump to verses 1 and 2 and verse 4, we will see that God wants and demands our worship. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with, with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The word for serve there can actually be translated as worship. So the text can simply read something like worship Yahweh with gladness. There's a certain type of posture, a certain type of uh, joy, a specific type of engagement that we should have when we, are, when we are in the presence of God Almighty. There is something that God demands from us that he expects, and that is our worship. I say demand because in this passage this morning, there are seven commands. There are seven commands that are presented here. First, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Two, serve the Lord, worship the Lord. You can say that. Three, come into his presence with singing. Four, know that the Lord is God. Five, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Remember, in week one, we talked about there are different types of psalms. There are lament psalms. There are repentance psalms. Psalm 100 is what theologians would consider a thanksgiving psalm. So he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Number six, very explicitly, give thanks to him. And lastly, number seven, bless his name. There are seven imperatives that are communicated here. So the psalmist envisions for God's people to participate in these actionable steps. In other words, as we read the scripture, we should actually be saying, man, God wants us to do something. This is not a passage that we can just read and just say, oh, this is nice. This is cool. No. God wants us to actually move and do something. And with these seven imperatives, this is what he is saying, and he is calling our attention to our worship. Now, worship can be looked at in a couple of ways. It's twofold. One, there's like a broad sense of worship. But I would also add there's a narrow sense as well. I'll start with the broad first. Worship can be seen and viewed as a way of life. So Romans 12, 1, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in some sense, we can say our worship should be categorized by how we live our life in a broad sense. So this means no matter what you do, what you do at your job, in some sense, that is a form of worship. How you parent your children, in some sense, that is a form of worship. How you eat your food, <laughs> in some sense, it's a form of, of worship. So from a broad sense, we all are worshipers, and what we do should ultimately give God glory, and we should worship him. But there's a narrow view, and I think, what, 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 and I think in Psalm 100, what the psalmist is saying, this is what happens when the saints come together for church. When the people of God come together as a collective, when they come together as the family of God, there is something that happens in this place, and it's called worship. 
It means the act or action associated with attributing honor, reverence, or worth that which is considered to be reserved for the divine. Specifically, Roosevelt, in the worship service experience. Amen? I love how the psalmist describes what the worship looks like, if you were wondering. And it's interesting because when I read this particular passage, um, it doesn't give necessarily like if you're an extrovert, you could do this, or if you're an introvert, you could do this. It actually just says no matter what. By the way, I don't even know if those categories was established back then. But no matter what category you fall in, we are called to worship God. What does it look like? It means singing which our worship team did a beautiful job leading us into that. It means making a joyful noise. It means praise. It means to give thanks. It means to bless his name. In other words, the worship is a verbal affirmation. Uh, It's a spoken language. It is a verbal expression as we Come together to worship. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to visit other churches. And not only is other churches, but other churches of different denominations. And listen, Roosevelt, I love all my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I really do. Um, but you know, like, like how in your biological family, um, there's brothers and sisters that you have that you didn't get to pick. And you may like one, you may favor one over the other. Yeah? Tell the truth, shame the devil. <laughs> Similarly, in our spiritual family, I confess, I kind of have that. So... I love all my brothers and sisters. I love my Anglican brothers and sisters. I love my Lutherans. I love my Presbyterians. I love my Episcopals. But there is something different when I get together with my brothers and sisters from the historic black church. Amen, somebody. I'm going to lump in my, my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, too. They, they can, we, can, we can add them in, too. But when we get together, it's something about the worship that just makes it very, very like, oh, yeah, this is where I belong. This is where I need to be. They know how to worship and praise our living God. If you need any discipleship on how to worship Roosevelt, because some of y'all, I know y'all be standing looking, frozen. I ain't come to pick on you today, but I kind of did. If you need any discipleship, just go visit a black church. I got a couple ones I can, I can give you after the service. But I, I, I love this because in her autobiography, um, Moving On Up, Mahalia Jackson, 
a legendary gospel singer. She was describing her experience with the historic black church and Pentecostal churches. And she writes something pretty interesting about her experience as she observed the worship service. This is what she said. She said, those people had no choir, no organ. They used the drum, the cymbal, the tambourine, and the steel triangle. Everybody in there sang, emphasis added on me. And they stomped their feet and they sang with their whole bodies. Uh, They had a beat a powerful beat, a rhythm we held onto from slavery days. And their music was so strong and expressive, it used to bring me to tears. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about when you're in a worship service and it brings you to tears. From the songs that was sung, maybe from the preacher, maybe from just the overall experience, there is certain things that are said and communicated that tugs on our hearts. And it causes us to just break out into worship. We don't care who sees. We don't care who's there. Because ultimately, we are worshiping God. And when you think about it, God is worthy of our praise and our worship because of his goodness and his forever love. And sometimes he should cause you to shout. Sometimes he should cause you to say something. Sometimes it should cause you to holler. Sometimes it may cause you to raise up your hands and praise God. Why? Because of who God is. We see in verse 3 that it's the character of God that motivates us, that informs us of why we should be shouting in the first place. In verse 3, we see that it paints the picture that we have a firm groundedness in the character of God. The psalmist details two aspects. Somebody say two. Two aspects about what we should know about the God that we serve. And as a result, we should praise him. There's a celebratory aspect when we are worshiping our great God and Savior. Two things that it says here in the psalm. One, you should know God as creator. We should know God as creator. This is the building blocks for a Christian worldview, biblical worldview, that we know that God is a creator. The second thing it says is we should know God as shepherd. We should know God as shepherd. I know that language may not be as common to us in our 21st century, but in the ancient Israel, there was a deep relational intimacy between the shepherd and his flock. To the point that a good shepherd would love, would care, would feed, and would protect the sheep. Sometimes the shepherd would even sing to the sheep as they were walking from place to place. As it was time for the sheep to leave the shepherd, the shepherd would make a sound. It would make a noise. And that was cue for the sheep to say, oh, it's time to go. And let me follow my shepherd. Essentially, this parallels to the work of a pastor. As the shepherds of God's people. First Peter 5 says that we should care for the flock 
of God. This also parallels to the great shepherd, who is Jesus the Christ. If Jesus is the great shepherd, then pastors are simply the under shepherds. And in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, it says something pretty interesting about this shepherd and sheep language. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. And the last part, for they know shepherd's voice. Essentially, as the sheep, and we're all sheep, and if Jesus is the great shepherd, when Jesus is calling for his people, those that are genuinely his, those that are bought with his own blood, those that have repented and trusted of their, in their sin, those that believe in Jesus, you will hear shepherd's voice. You may not understand everything, but you will hear the shepherd's voice. That's why when you read scripture, sometimes the Bible has a way of reading you. And when that happens, that is the great shepherd saying to you, calling you, saying something of importance to you so that will get you back on track. Sometimes sheep, they tend to wander. They tend to go to different places. But if you're truly his, then the sheep calls. You will ultimately hear the voice of the shepherd. I guess the question I would ask, do you hear his voice? Through meditation, through prayer, through the worship experience. Through that person that doesn't know anything about you, but they're able to say something to you, give you a word of wisdom. Are you listening? The sheep will always hear the voice of the shepherd. And this is the good news of what Christ has done on our behalf to redeem us, to bring us into his family through faith and repentance. Our passage in Psalms not only says that God made us, but we are his. We belong to him. One commentator says it this way. God does not simply want to own us as possessions, but that he also cares for and provides us with what we need. He is a good, good shepherd. We have a spot on the team of God, and if we are on his team, Nobody can pluck us from his hands. We are secure in Christ. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. And that is reason enough, Roosevelt, to give him honor, to give him praise, to give him glory for what he has done. For being a part 
of his congregation, for being a part of his diverse family, for him being able to lead you, to feed you, to care for you, and to protect you. Why? Because God is a great, great shepherd. He made us, but we are his. We are on the side of God. God is worthy of our praise, of our devotion, but why? Well, for the reasons I've already stated, but the psalmist grounds his reasoning and solidifies it even more by giving more descriptions of who God is. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the sermonic thesis from this text. Another way of saying it is God is worthy of our praise and our worship because of his goodness and because of his forever love. This verse says that God is good. Not only good, but he's God is love, but he's also faithful. When I think about the goodness of God, I can't help but think about all the things that has happened in my life that has brought me to this particular place. We can look through the resume of our lives and we can see, okay, that was wrong, that was messed up, this happened, etc. We can certainly do that. But when we look at the goodness of God, how he has carried us out of deep, deep waters, we cannot help but thank God for what he's done. Indeed, God is good. Psalm 119.68 says, you are good and you do good. Whatever is the litmus test, the standard of goodness, God is. And this is something that we should take comfort in when the storms of life takes us so many different ways. We need to remember the goodness of God. The psalmist is telling us. That God is good. But not only that, he's love. And he demonstrated his love so beautifully on the cross as we think about Jesus. Love is an action. You can't just say that you love somebody and not act upon it. And the cross is the greatest demonstration of love. That he gave his only begotten son. So people like me and you can actually be saved. That's crazy to even think about. But God in his grace and in his love did that for you and me. And God is faithful. (laughs) The faithfulness of God when we tend to be faithless. Again, as you roll through your history, your life, you can see how God has shown up and how he's been faithful when you didn't even deserve it. And this is the character of our God. In a world full of change, in a world full of a lot of changing that happens, um, the Great Depression of the 1930s, the recession of 2008 and 2009, the global pandemic of 2020, And who knows, maybe we're on another brink of a recession, some of the economists are saying. But in a world full of change, the God of the Bible remains the same. 
The God of the Bible remains steadfast. The God of the Bible is consistent. The God of the Bible is faithful. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, the God man himself, Messiah Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, if y'all know the type of week that I've had, y'all say, how are you up here preaching? And it's because of the faithfulness of God. As we think about this spiritual action, this spiritual practice to help us in our faith, to help us in our journey, Roosevelt. We can praise him. We can praise him. Despite what's going on. Despite the challenges. Despite the cancer. Despite the broken relationships. Despite anything, we can praise God for who he is. We can praise him for his goodness. We can praise him for his mercy. We can praise him for his love. We can praise him for his peace. We can praise him for his faithfulness. We can praise him for being a creator. We can praise him for being a sustainer. Roosevelt, we can praise him. We can also praise him for what he's done. We can praise him for being a way maker. We can praise him for making a way out of no way. We can praise him for assisting you in landing that lucrative business client. You can praise him for helping you with that wayward, rebellious child. We can praise him for getting your son out of jail. We can praise him for walking you through that heartbreaking miscarriage. We can praise him for being present in your life as you are navigating a devastating divorce. We can praise him. We can praise him for being the great God and king of the universe. We can praise him for what he has done, for getting you into the school you wanted to get into, for helping you be able to bring yourself to the sanctuary this morning. And listen, if, if, if none of that gets you, you can praise him for saving you from the pits of hell. You can praise him for sending Jesus to suffer and die and rise from the grave, conquer sin and death. You can praise him for resurrecting Jesus. Because the text says he didn't stay dead. He got up. He got up on the third day. He got up with all power and all glory in his hand. Death could not hold him. God raised him from the dead so me and you can be in the family of God. We can praise him. And the church said, amen. Father God. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you have done. We praise you that you indeed have saved us. We praise you, Lord, 
of the family he brought us close to. I pray for anyone right now, Lord, that may struggle with praise. Maybe it's some things that are just hard for them to praise through. But I ask, Lord, that you can bring attention to the words of Psalm 100. That they can be able to bank on that and hope on that. And that will give them comfort as they seek to praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.